This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. I'm your host here on Ringler Radio. And in case you're a first-time listener, you should know that every Ringler Radio show can be downloaded from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or from the legaltalknetwork.com. Well, today we're going to be taking a new twist on a subject we've covered in the past, and that's the uh, subject of Medicare set-asides. There's some new rules that have been promulgated that will go into effect about a year from now, and we're going to have a, a, a really spirited discussion about that with two people. One is my co-host, Joan Pagnano. Joan is uh, head of the Braintree, Massachusetts Ringler office. Of course, I've known Joan for years. Uh, she helped me start the Boston office here back in 1983. And uh, along the way now, she negotiates settlements, uh, works on a lot of different types of cases, medical malpractice, general liability, environmental workers' comp, and, and covers a lot of the areas both uh, here in New England and really all around the country with clients that she uh, she has at the user uh, almost every week. Right, Joan? That's right, Larry. And, uh, boy, we've known each other for a quite – it's almost scary how long we've known each other. I won't even talk about it. And also our guest uh, today, a special guest really, is Peter Foley, who is the Vice President of Claims Administration for the American Insurance Association. Uh, it's the leading property casualty insurance trade organization located down in Washington, D.C. Uh, Peter provides advice on public policy and claims issues affecting the insurance industry at both the state and the federal levels. And, Peter, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. Well, we're glad you're here with us because we're going to be talking about uh, Medicare set-asides and the new rules that are coming about that really I think a lot of people are going to be somewhat surprised about but also need to get ready for. But before we do that, why don't you talk a bit about the role of uh, the American Insurance Association Tell us about that organization and what it does. Well, as you said, we're a trade organization representing some of the largest uh, insurers in the United States. Member companies include the Travelers, Feynman's Fund, Chubb, Hotford, Zurich, Ace, Farmers, XL, Great American, and in Massachusetts, Hanover. Um, what we do is we try to be a voice of the industry in discussions that occur before legislation or regulation takes place. And once it does take place, to help define it and get, gain an understanding of it so that our member companies can um, deal with it. Well, you know, associations like that are important. We have one at Ringler, you know, in the structured settlement field. Uh, we have a structured settlement association. And uh, it's vital, especially today in the political realm, to, to keep our to keep our voices heard in Congress and elsewhere where, where these kinds of decisions are made. I'm sure you're doing some of the same. Yes, we have regional offices across the country and representatives in virtually every state. Well, I think as we start to talk about this issue of Medicare set-asides, I think it's important to distinguish what we talked about in past shows, which were really the workers' comp set-asides, which most of us have now been familiar with, and there are a lot of issues around them, but that discussion has taken place, and there's there's been some uh, really some, some history surrounding the workers' compensation field. But... 
This is now delving into the realm of liability claims. And Peter, I know there's been some inaccurate speculation on this topic of uh, Medicare set-asides and the new CMS rules regarding the liability side of uh, the House that are supposed to take effect in July of uh, next year. Let's try to set the record straight here. What What is actually happening? Basically, when the S-CHIP bill was passed in December, on the 18th of December, the wording was inserted in the bill, and the bill was passed on the 19th and signed by the president shortly thereafter. And what it did was include a reporting requirement for certain types of property casualty claims, whether they be handled by self-insurers or insurers. So when that legislation came down, we took a look at it here at AIA, had an internal committee look at it. We developed a set of questions, concerns. Uh, we then conducted an industry meeting with uh, NAMIC and PCI, the two other major property casualty trades, as well as large insurers such as Allstate, AIG, State Farm, Liberty Mutual. And we, we came to the conclusion that we needed to have a dialogue with CMS. And CMS had already reached out to ISO, the insurance service offices in Jersey City, New Jersey, and asked them to discuss the new reporting requirements with CMS. ISO immediately informed CMS that the information contained at ISO was not theirs. It was owned by the members uh, who chose to uh, use ISO, and they gave uh, CMS, the head of CMS's um, task force, uh, my name. Well, I can see this is going to be, as we develop this conversation uh, going forward, we're going to to get into some of this, and I can see already – how it can get uh, a little complex and, and a little crazy with all these various entities trying to poke their heads into this process. So that's going to be interesting for us to uh, to talk about. Yes. Peter, can you just um, tell us then, I believe you just did actually how you and AIA became the liaison with CMS by someone recommending your name. So can you instead tell us what the status of the communications between the industry and CMS is? We have had three meetings with CMS. The first was an industry trades with CMS and a number of their independent vendors where they laid out their vision of how this was going to work. We discussed with them some of the implications and concerns we had as the property casualty industry, and it was agreed that from that point on, since I was in Washington, D.C., and I was the only person who actually in the meeting had an operational knowledge of claims that I would be the liaison with CMS on behalf of the property casualty industry. That sounds like a good choice. Well, thank you. <laughs> now let's let's talk about these new MSA rules. Let's let's get right to it. These rules are going to take effect in July 2009. What are some of these important changes that our audience should really know about? The most important change is that it is a very limited rule. It simply says that we must report certain types of claims to CMS. And CMS is working on creating the data fields that they want the insurance industry to report. They've made some specific requirements. The most obvious one is they want everything reported electronically. Um, they have decided the, the legislation was somewhat confusing, and now that we've had discussions with them, we understand where they were coming from. They are going to want, by their definition, 
the no-fault and workers' comp claims to be reported on more than one occasion. Those claims are going to be reported when the insurer accepts them, in the case of workers' comp as being compensable, or in the case of no-fault, which they define, by the way, as any claim where you have a first-party benefit. It is not no-fault auto. It is no-fault as in... Uh, you slip and fall at a store, and the store has medical payments. Well, that's a no-fault coverage for them. Gotcha. And they will, they will at that time, require you to notify them that you've accepted the fact that this claim is a covered claim under no-fault or compensable under workers' comp, and then they will want reporting when you make a payment. But they've said that the reporting is not necessarily going to be instantaneously. It might be quarterly reporting. Or you will do reporting via a web portal or as a property casualty entity, you can report directly to them on your own. And there, there has been one major insurer who has decided that they are going to feed CMS the data directly. Hmm. I'm, and I'm sure CMS is going to get overwhelmed with data. I mean, this, this is a, these are a lot of cases we're talking about here. What's, uh, what is that all about? They don't, um, they don't think of it as a lot of cases. The property casualty insurance industry is small in comparison to the health insurance industry on mm-hmm. number of claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, we estimate that it will be somewhere over 40 million potential claims that would need to be reported annually. But they are not going to try to get all of them right away. They are going to work in the rules so that companies will have to make good efforts to comply with the rules, but they ne- won't necessarily have to b- report every single claim on a Big Bang Theory on July 1st. That's not going to happen. Interesting. On the liability side of the house, you're only going to report it after a settlement or a judgment. There's not going to be, they don't, a lot of liability claims get turned down or don't develop into anything. They do not want claims where nothing has been paid. Well, that's going to be a help. That'll be a help. Okay, Pete, can you just give us a real case example of how these rules may affect settlements and the insurance industry? That is really what we're trying to avoid in a way, Joan, because there's been so much speculation that has been incorrect. Um, CMS has said that they have not spoken to anyone outside of the parties who are required to report these claims. So w- when you've been reading articles in trade press by different entities, they have not, they have not uh, been sanctioned by CMS at all. We could speculate that perhaps attorneys might not take settlements involving uh, co-defendants where a co-defendant in the past might have uh, paid a little money to get out because if the person's over 65, that CMS is going to come knocking at the plaintiff attorney's door asking for um, their money back. It's not going to be able to be used to fund the litigation. So that's one. There could be insurance agents will not sell medical payments coverage to people over 65 because they're covered by Medicare and any money that the insurance company paid would have to go back to the federal government. We can't really tell what's going to happen. We're going to have to put these rules into effect and see exactly how things play out. Okay, I see. Then let me just ask you this. Um, Is the July 1st, 2009 effective date applicable to the date of the injury or the date of payment? That they have said to us directly, and we have no reason not to believe this, that it is the date of the payment. So from a liability standpoint, they have indicated that they think that the insurance industry will settle a lot of claims in May and June of 2009. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
But on the other hand, it opens up long-tailed workers' comp claims that have been maybe getting paid for the last 30 years, and now a new payment's made, and it will be captured, and it will be sent on to CMS. So let me just uh, recap for just a second as we move forward here. It sounds like what's being promulgated are some new rules around the current CMS reporting on workers' comp and uh, and the no-fault arena, and really some some real new rules on the liability arena in terms of reporting at all. I mean, this is, for, for all those people out there who handle liability claims, up until now, we really didn't have to worry so much about these issues, but the comp people have been dealing with this for some time. So uh, I'm sure the, the complexity is going to, uh, in terms of not just what CMS gets, but in terms of how claim offices are dealing with these issues, it's going to get a little more complex before it gets simpler, don't you agree? Yeah, I think there's an education process. Unfortunately, Larry, I think the frontline adjusters are going to be the ones that are going to have to educate independent agents and plaintiff's attorneys as to what the new rules are and how they're going to apply. Um, CMS has indicated that they would like insurers to do due diligence on handling these claims. Um, they have also said, which is most important to the audience here, which is why I was happy to come on, that there will be no such thing as a liability set-aside. And that's an important difference that we can talk about later. That is a big difference, yeah. And the there will be as a need to get correct Social Security numbers and dates of birth. CMS, though, on the other hand, has indicated to us that they will return to the insurance industry incorrect Social Security numbers because they have very sophisticated algorithms to identify which ones are incorrect. The unattended consequences of the industry getting back a number of incorrect Social Security numbers is hard to consider. You know, what what will they do? And each entity, by that I mean health insurer, self-insured, or insurer, is going to have to sign their plan. And if they, CMS has indicated that the $1,000 a day fine is not what they're in this for. They want the reporting but they will use that $1,000 day fine if the entity isn't making progress towards complying with the reporting requirements. Mm -hmm. And not all of the reporting requirements will be mandatory. Some will be. Some may be mandatory over time as you move forward. Pete, um, let's just uh, touch you a little. You did a little bit on education, but what we're wondering from the structured settlement aspect here, if there's a way you could suggest that we educate the plaintiff attorneys about these new rules? Well, I think anything you can do to be helpful would be great because CMS has indicated the only education they're going to do is send a letter to the state bar associations, and that will not be effective. But I will tell you that the American Association for Justice, which is the new name for an old organization that we refer to as the plaintiff's bar, they have on their website a Medicare, Medicaid claim survival guide for members. Of course, I'm not a member, so I couldn't take a look at that. But they obviously are aware that there is activity in this arena, and they're probably starting to talk about it. So plaintiff lawyers who want more information about this are are going to websites that are set up specifically for that by their organizations, which is a good thing. And uh, CMS is communicating in some fashion now with the plaintiff bar, I would assume, and they're going to continue to do so. Uh, do you see 
that increasing prior to this 2009 deadline, or is this going to be uh, we have to find the information out on our own? CMS will make available on their website a uh, – you can sign up to get notifications and alerts on the mandatory reporting of property casualty insurance claims. It is cms.hhs.gov slash mandatory reporting backslash. <laughs> That's the world we live in today. Everything's a backslash. <laughs> and so if you give them the – if you put in your – your um, email address, they will put you on a list of people to notify as things break. Before we take a break, let, let me try to uh, – I know I know there's been a lot of misconception and I know we you don't want to maybe get involved in, in, in specific examples. But if a plaintiff attorney is sitting there with a case, you mentioned that let's say there are two co-defendants. In the past, they might want to settle with a co-defendant to get funds to really finance their, their case moving forward against the other guy. But you're saying today, uh, when these new rules come into play, the acceptance of that money from the co-defendant may do what? It will cause that insurer to report a payment to a beneficiary, and then CMS will come looking for that payment. So, so no longer is that is that payment under the radar, so to speak. It's right out in full force. CMS knows it's there. And uh, they might be looking to that to satisfy some obligation based upon the criteria of, of that claimant. I mean, that particular claimant, I, I assume, has to be Medicare eligible or have some issue around that. How, how does that all work? I mean, obviously not every claimant is going to be uh, subject to these to these rules. Is that well, right? That's correct. If you, if you perhaps were over 65, but yet your spouse is still working, you might be covered by his or her insurance, mm-hmm. therefore not collecting anything from Medicare. But the insurer will report that through so to what, C- CMS. So, so once the insurer reports it to CMS, CMS is then going to look with Social Security numbers, et cetera, looking at the specific data around this case and that individual to see whether or not they lay claim to any of that money. Correct. Okay. And some they, some they may say, no, we don't. Some they say, yes, we do. And if they say, yes, we do, they'll, they'll be contacting that plaintiff attorney who just received those funds and say, here's our claim. That is what they have indicated they are going to do. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it's essentially like the, the liens that right. they've been dealing with for years. Well, let's take a short break right now. And, uh, this is a very interesting discussion. And, uh, when we come back, we'll talk some more with Peter Foley and, uh, talk a little bit more about this uh, new Medicare set aside rulings that are coming down the pike. I don't like these rulings. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. 
Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and I'd like to welcome back my colleague Joan Pagnano from the Braintree, Massachusetts Ringler office, and our special guest today, Peter Foley, Vice President of Claims Administration of the American Insurance Association down in Washington, D.C. The AIA is a leading property casualty insurance trade organization, and Peter's got a big job trying to deal with some of these issues that we're talking about today. Peter, what do you think is going to happen here with the plaintiff bar? Uh, are, are they going to take any of these issues to Capitol Hill to try to get some of these things amended or changed? Uh, you know, what we're seeing here, and I think we should talk about this, what we're seeing here is a situation where an insurance carrier is going to make a payment to a plaintiff attorney and their client on a case they may report to CMS because there's a potential Medicare issue involved. And here's the poor plaintiff attorney sitting there. If they send the funds to the, to their, to the claimant and the claimant squanders those funds, it sounds like, and you can clear this for me, sounds like CMS is going to say, whoops, our money was spent by that claimant. We're now going to look to somebody to, to, you know, reimburse us. Either the insurance carrier who paid it, Perhaps the plaintiff attorney who paid it uh, too soon, uh, without without the proper controls. Tell us about those issues. I'm sure you're grappling with them. It's been one of the areas where there's been most speculation. Um, the the payment under liability has to be made, or a judgment has to be entered for a requirement to for Medicare to have a subrogated right of recovery. So. Some have called for Medicare to come to the table and participate in the negotiation of claims. That, well, that is not that, the that would be wild, wouldn't it? Well, that is not the position of AIA. CMS has indicated they do not have the staff or the ability to do it, and have no interest in doing it. Um, why some have called for that is they're trying to protect themselves from the re- regulations that say that CMS can come back and make the payer pay again. And so they want some safe harbor, but CMS has never afforded a safe harbor in any of the Medicare Medicaid legislation. I don't know how the plaintiff's bar will counsel their members. I am counseling my members to be diligent and to do a good job of trying to determine whether somebody is Medicare eligible and whether they have a reporting requirement. Uh, we will stand on that, that if we're doing that as an industry, then they shouldn't be coming back and asking us to pay claims twice. If they were to do that, it would, I would think you would see a, some sort of um, uh, reluctance on all parties, and it could end up causing quite a bit of um, confusion out there. The courts, we don't, we don't want more litigation. We want less litigation. Unless you're, unless you're in the litigation business. <laughs> well, the, my member companies want less litigation. Uh, absolutely, you know, but they're always, they're always, you know, the yin and the yang of life. 
Okay, Go. Pete, um, we have already talked a little bit about the difference between wa- workers' comp versus the liability issue as far as this new ruling and what we now see as a Medicare set-aside. But can we just go through that one more time so that everyone understands the clear differences between the two? Yes, John, I'd be happy to. Um, when an employer or, or an insurer for an employer accepts a workers' comp claim as compensable, they're accepting an obligation to pay the medical bills that are resulting from the injury. And in many states, you can't get off that um, The obligation, obligation. stays That's with right. it, right. That's right. right. But in some states, they allow you to settle the claim. And in those claims, Medicare has gotten into the Medicare set-aside issue, where they review the claim, they do an estimate as to how much they think they are going to need in future medical, and they ask that that amount be set aside. In liability... By definition, you may never accept the any, you have no obligation, you may never accept the claim. You may turn it down, you may try it, and you may win. So therefore, the rules and regulations under liability say that the uh, subrogated right of Medicare does not begin until a judgment is entered or a settlement is made. And they have also indicated that there is no, uh, they are not bound by any, settlement wording or documentation. So if I was to settle a claim and say none of this is for medical, mm-hmm. they will ignore that. Okay. And they have also indicated they have the right to go pro rata at their, at their discretion. So if, for instance, it's a small claim, a uh, person is over 65, Medicare paid $5,000, but the total settlement was 7500 they, they, at their discretion, will have the right to de- cut the beneficiary's required payment. Okay. But it will not be through a set. There will be no set-aside process, and they will not sit at the table. They did indicate that they would sit at the table on mega class action lawsuits, such as FenFen or Dalcon Shield or uh, breast implants, any of those that come up forward in the future. They're currently, apparently actively participating in the Vioxx claims. Interesting. But on the mega ones, they, they do suggest that they might participate, but those would be the only ones. You know, it's interesting because I was going to ask that question about in the workers' comp arena, for example, often a workers' comp carrier that's paid out uh, workers' comp will sit at the table as an intervener uh, in the liability case. Because when the liability case settles, they want to make sure that their money gets paid back as the lien. Uh, and I almost saw that what you, where you were going there was that Medicare may be this intervener on the liability side in these cases. I know when, the, when, a, when a comp carrier is there to try to make sure to protect their lien, oftentimes they'll compromise their lien. Sometimes they even waive their lien, you know, depending on the circumstance of the case. I think I heard you say that if, if Medicare gets involved in some of these liability cases asserting their right, they may, in fact, depending on the case circumstance, they may compromise what's owed to them. Is that right? They have said that they have the right to. They didn't say that they would do it. Okay. Well, we have to tie them down. Well, so, that's, so, that's well, that is, Pete, so let's, let's make sure even I understand this. That's basically because they're just required to report at this point. They're not 
required as you are in comp to do an actual set aside. Is that correct? Well, there will there is no requirement for a set aside, nor will there ever be a requirement for a set aside because there is no right to require a set aside on something that hasn't occurred yet. So first, they have the company either has to have a judgment entered against it, or there has to be a payment made in settlement of the claim, and then. From a legal standpoint, CMS now has standing to talk to their beneficiary to ask for the monies paid conditionally to the payers, to the vendors, healthcare vendors, to be returned to them. Because in a liability claim, the vendors, let's say a hospital, can submit their bill after 120 days mm-hmm. and get it paid. That claim might take five years to resolve. And that's when CMS would then come back looking for the reimbursement. Well, I don't have to tell you that this is a very uh, interesting and, and going to be, I think, somewhat controversial area as we move forward. There's going to be there's going to be contentious, uh, you know, assessments on on both sides of this uh, issue. I think plaintiff the plaintiff bar is going to probably uh, try to promulgate some uh, rules here, and uh, you know, the, and there's always the politics in all of this. So. I, I think you see uh, a year ahead where you're going to be pretty busy, don't you, Peter? Well, I think, first of all, we need to see the new rules, which should be released. The draft new rules should come out before July 1st of this year, and then we have to review those. And we have tried to have discussions. We've had three meetings with CMS to try to discuss the mandatory versus not mandatory data fields. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to streamline it so it, the reporting requirement can go as quickly and efficiently as possible to CMS. They have indicated that, like the health insurers, they will set up an industry uh, feedback group. And I think I will be actively involved in giving them feedback as to how the different member companies uh, are reacting to this and what problems they're running into and what's happening in the real marketplace. But we'll have to educate the plaintiff's bar, the defense bar, the adjusters, the independent agents, the in-house agents, and uh, we're edu- hopefully we're educating CMS also. Well, you have a big job ahead of you, Peter. Uh, if someone wanted to get in touch with you to really find out more about this, uh, how would they do that? How would they how would they contact you and your organization? You can contact me at pfoley at aiadc dot org or by phone at. 202-828-7154. Okay, and Joan, how about yourself? If someone wanted to talk to you, how would they get you? Well, my email address is jpagnano, which is P-A-G-N-A-N-O, at ringlerassociates.com, or the phone number would be 781-830-1010. Terrific, and uh, for all of you out there, any Ringler Associate can be contacted through uh, ringlerassociates.com, our website. It's a great website. Go to it. You'll get a lot of information. We'll be having more information on uh, these uh, new reporting requirements as they, as they come out, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to Peter along the way. So, Peter, we want to thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for your expertise. And uh, for the rest of you out there, go on out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, 
American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Ring the Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network.